Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of the 430 movie, you'll love Best Movies Never Made, hosted by Jodorowsky's Dune producer Steve Scarlatta and Josh Miller, where they explore some of the greatest movies that were never made, from E.T. 2 to Tim Burton's Superman, Night Skies to Star Trek The Academy Years. New episodes available every other Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of Star Trek, check out my new sci-fi TV series, Pandora, debuting on The CW and around the world on July 9th, starring Priscilla Quintana and Oliver Dench, and you can find out more by downloading the Unboxing Pandora podcast, available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Darren Docterman, and we don't know where Mark Altman is. He's been stolen away, probably by time travelers seeking to change the future by altering the past. But this is Inglorious Trexperts. Look at this man. There's no need for him to live like that. With the right medication, he could lead a full and normal life. Maybe in our time. Not just in our time. There are any number of effective treatments for schizophrenia, even in this day and age. They could cure that man now, today, if they gave a damn. It's not that they don't give a damn. They've just given up. The social problems they face seem too enormous to deal with. That only makes things worse. Causing people to suffer because you hate them is terrible. But causing people to suffer because you have forgotten how to care... That's really hard to understand. They'll remember. It will take some time and it won't be easy. But eventually, people in this century will remember how to care. Welcome. We're here. And uh, as I said, Mark Altman is nowhere to be found, but hopefully someday we'll be able to go back in time and find him again. But uh, in the meantime, we're here to talk about time and time travel and Star Trek and all that stuff. And... uh, Welcome. We have a uh, we still have full tables of guests here today. Uh, I'm going to start with uh, the inimitable Scott Mance uh, over here, with uh, full of energy and uh, uh, joy and uh, fandom and uh, the incredible Manceness that he is. Pure mm-hmm. energy, matter without form. There's one thing I get excited about. Well, there's a lot of things I get excited about, but especially talking about Star Trek. And it's great to be here on Inglorious Trexperts with this amazing panel talking about the very best. We're going backwards in time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's great to have you. And uh, on my left, the uh, wonderful Alexandra August from Comic Book Resources, Screen Rant, and the Disco Trek podcast with co-host Johnny Kolozinski. Welcome, Alexandra. Hi, it's really great to be here. I just flew in from like the 19th century, and boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> Thank you. You're here all day. And last but not least, uh, sitting yeah, possibly at least. the <laughs> in the chair of destiny, we have the lovely and talented Kirk Thatcher oh, uh, too of. You know, many of you know him as the uh, punk in Star Trek IV. Everybody uh, knows him, sadly. <laughs> uh, also of uh, of ILM and the Muppets and all sorts of wonderful things. Uh, the other is, star franchise. The other star franchise. Wars, yeah. yeah. The only person to ever flip the bird yeah. in a Star Trek movie. I need to do it in a Star Wars movie and then <laughs> create some. Be Welcome, a... Kirk. Thank you. It's great to be here. 
I didn't realize it was going to be on camera. I would have dressed up. I, you know. well, now you're wearing the insignia. I did wear that. That was just for you guys. But um, <laughs> yeah, I would have brushed my hair. <laughs> or well, my thank teeth, goodness you didn't. I'm yeah. wearing sweats with a blazer, taking full yeah, advantage well. of the fact that nobody watching this can see anything from here. Well, I'm not even wearing pants. Smart. So. Alexander. I watch a lot of Weekend Update. Nice. <laughs> so well, it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> well, it's about time. And so is this episode. Because we're going to talk about time travel. It's a, you know, sometimes people say that time travel is a crutch that uh, bad writers use to get into an interesting story. I'm not one of those people. I agree. I'm just, yeah. I'm just reporting. It's a crutch. Uh, it's a really <laughs> fun wow, crutch that's like on a pogo stick that you can play with. When it's have, done yeah. well, it's done really well. When it's done badly, it's uh, kind of goofy. But uh, I think we're going to talk about stuff where it's done well, and. Uh, of course you mean Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> Darn right. Or, or Bill and Len's Excellent Adventure. Ah, <laughs> nice. Wow. Staying on Out point. You're good. Very good. <laughs> um, you know, it, since the beginning of Star Trek, uh, there have been voyages in time and space. And I think that uh, it's always been a fun way to explore different stories that you couldn't always in the direct linear method. Um Let's uh, let's just open it up, uh, Scott Mance. Well, you know, should I open it up with the one, with the one, the one that is just the very best time travel episode or story, in my opinion, but with the episode that really is, I think, and and it's regarded by many as the single greatest episode of Star Trek ever produced across all of the shows. It is the Citizen Kane of Star Trek episodes, and it is often hailed as Star Trek's finest hour for many reasons, because it's a great romance. Spock's brain. Uh, definitely not Spock's brain. <laughs> oh, Mary? But because the naked now. <laughs> the stakes of this episode are massive, and it was also really the third, only the third time uh, in the first season that we saw any mention or anything at all that had to do with time travel. This is, of course, the great, the city on the edge of forever. This is going to be your answer to every question we ask you on this podcast, isn't it? it well, I do have backups <laughs> that I'll get to. But really, if we're going to talk about the greatest time travel story, the greatest time travel the episode, quintessential because, one, you know, we had seen a little bit of time travel at the very end of The Naked Time. Right. We saw time travel done in a more humorous way in Tomorrow Was Yesterday. Uh, you know, I think every Star Trek fan was really Captain Christopher. Uh, we saw that episode through his eyes. But... In terms of the stakes, McCoy going back, changing the future, Kirk and Spock having to go back to restore the future, but at the ultimate sacrifice, the stakes are massive, absolutely massive. The future of, of the Enterprise, the future of the Federation, uh, and by, by extension, because of the, the Federation's <clears throat> impact on the galaxy, the future of the galaxy. Um, you know, So much has been written and said and talked about on uh, on Harlan Ellison's original draft and where that was, what was what was involved in that, and 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 the ultimate uh, uh, turning point of that episode where where Kirk uh, held McCoy back versus Spock, uh, uh, Kirk holding McCoy back versus uh, you know originally uh, Spock held Kirk back, whatever. Um, but on its merits, the impact of that episode never is never diluted no matter how many times you see it and i felt like every other uh time travel story done afterwards some of them are really really good almost as good as good a city but it is 
It is the Beatles of Star Trek episodes. Mm -hmm. Don't it's mince as good words, as Scott. What do you really think? <laughs> I, I just love it. I love it. I mean, I still, I have a great uh, uh, story. Uh, two years ago, I went back east for Thanksgiving. I really and, uh, thought you were going to say I went back in time. I, well, I really did. Going back in time for Thanksgiving. This is and it was a, it was a big uh, you know my brother and his family held a, a big Thanksgiving uh, uh, dinner uh, with uh, with with so many of their friends and, and extended family and after the dinner you know a lot of the guys sort of retreated to the living room and they were just flipping through the channels looking for sports and uh, BBC America was doing uh, Happy Trexgiving marathon and City on the Edge of Forever was just starting and most of the most of the people in the room had never seen Star Trek at all but I convinced them to watch it I convinced them to stay with it I can only and I imagine the impassioned speech you gave right I before I <laughs> got them to stay and they watched it and they loved it and they were like wow that was a that was really great uh, you know you didn't have to love Star Trek to like yeah, that yeah, episode yeah. Exactly. it's one of the best entry, hours yeah. of dramatic television ever produced that's our show. Thank you, <laughs> Alexander. What are your What are your thoughts on this uh, on this time travel thing? Um, you know, I was thinking about. It. I have a really hard time picking just one episode of or one movie or anything. That's that's a difficult task for me. Um, but when I started thinking about the time travel episodes that I really think are indicative of the spirit of Star Trek, that are well executed, and that um. And they're just enjoyable, period. Um, they all kind of fell in DS9. Um, wow. They, I really liked, I remember I watched Past Tense a couple of years ago, and this is after, I, the first time I saw it, I was, I think it was when it aired, and like now I live in Los Angeles, and they go to Los Angeles, and they're at Skid Row, and Dr. Bashir is agape at their, the fact that there are so many mentally ill people, and this is in the, this is like in our future, it was like kind of later in the 21st century, and, or no, it wasn't, in, I think it was in like maybe 2006 they, that they, they go back Congress? to. Congress? Is that really what it is? Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> And, he, and he's just agape. At, they're at Skid Row, and he's agape that there are homeless people that are suffering from treatable illnesses. He's like, we had. He's like, during this time, we had the ability to treat paranoid schizophrenia. What is going on? And I remember, I think I had just gotten back from downtown or something, and I was like, oh my god, it's happening. It's coming true. We didn't fix it. This wasn't like nobody listened to the warning. Um, so there, like that, really resonated with me. But then there's also episodes like Trials and Tribulations and Little Green Men oh, that right. make use of the time travel right. device in ways that are just so resonant on so many different levels. You're drawing attention. Where did you get that thing from? A man named Cyrano Jones. He told me Tribbles like everyone, but this one doesn't seem to like you. The feelings. Mutual. They are detestable creatures. Hmm. Interesting. It's been my observation that most humanoids love soft, furry animals, especially if they make pleasing sounds. They do nothing but consume food and breed. If you feed that thing more than the smallest morsel in a few hours, you'll have ten triples, then a hundred, then a thousand. Calm down. They were once considered mortal enemies of the Klingon Empire. <laughs> this? mortal enemy of the Empire. They were an ecological menace, a plague to be wiped out. Wiped out? What are you saying? Hundreds of warriors were sent to track them down throughout the galaxy. An armada obliterated the Triple Homeworld. By the end of the 23rd century, they had been eradicated. Hmm. Another glorious chapter of Klingon history. Tell me, did they still sing songs of the great Tribble hunt? <laughs> Oh, oh, really? 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 Really?
they explain Roswell in this hilarious, that is still my favorite explanation of Roswell mm-hmm. to date. They Trials and Tribulations is a beautiful, beautiful, I think we talked about this in um, a different episode, but a beautiful homage to the original Trouble with Tribbles. And it was great... 30th anniversary of Star yep. Trek. That's why they did that. Yep. Yeah. I remember mm-hmm. I remember watching the special with with um, the cast of Frasier. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then also Wrong Starker Than Death or Night when Kira goes back in time to see that her mother had a romance with Gul Dukat and she realized it's kind of just this idea that you don't want to know everything about your parents. Right. Um, <laughs> and then despite the fact that they had the orb of time and... Um, they had all these abilities, these ways to kind of devices to get them back in time. It never felt contrived when DS9 went back in time. It never mm. felt like, okay, we need to do something, grab the orb of time and go. Uh-huh. Uh, it was just, it really felt like all the episodes felt relevant, felt resonant. There was a reason, the fact, there was a reason for the use of time travel and it always really delivered. Whereas I don't think you can necessarily say that about episodes like Voyager's Timeless or Future's End, despite how it, much I enjoyed those mm-hmm. as well. Mm. Those are all very interesting choices. Well, you really went down the list there, Alexander. Yeah. I just I thought we were going to take turns one by one. Oh, I'm, but, so, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 that's good. That's great. It's a great list. I mean, like yeah. Trials and Tribulations was such a was such a it was such a a, a great uh, love letter Homage, to the original yeah, series. Yeah. I loved it. And I mean, it gave us the visual of a Klingon battle cruiser destroying this planet, and then the planet just exploding in a puffball right. into space. That's the image <laughs> that I have in my head of the Klingons destroying the Tribble homeworld. Ambassador Thatcher, how do you vote? (laughs) As a representative of the Klingon, (laughs) I say boo, no, arg. Uh Um, It's funny, you guys are way more... Uh, deep cuts uh, and, and Star Trek, and I, I kind of loved it as a kid, and then you know watched it. And you trusted it as a mother. Exactly, it's a <laughs> it's a brand that I believe in. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, the one I had the most involvement with was uh, Trek Four, the where they can go back to save the whales. Yes. Warp speed, Mister Zulu. Warp three. Steady as she goes. Warp four. Warp five. Warp six. Warp seven. Warp eight. Sam, heat shields at maximum. Warp nine. We need breakaway
which was a, it was a fun. I mean, I remember I was involved in the early early stages. I wasn't involved in writing the script, but I was there. I was brought on early. And uh, it was originally more of kind of a romp in the present day. Mm-hmm. I think Leonard had done, well, I know Leonard had Star done Trek Star Trek Three, yeah. and felt that it was so heavy, and you know, it brought his character back, which was great. But he wanted to do something lighthearted, you know, as a guy who was pretty comes across pretty serious. Leonard had a great sense of humor, mm-hmm. and he realized I think that the fans love the camaraderie and all that. So he thought this time travel thing would be a a nice environmental message. Uh, although it didn't start out as that, the Mearson and Crickus script was more of a romp, and Eddie Murphy was going to be the scientist that mm-hmm. they meet, so it was right. really going to be a broader comedy. It would have made the, the love story a little more interesting. Say, <laughs> 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 like, Captain Kirk, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, yeah, that would have been. Uh, no, it wasn't a love story. It was literally a goofy romp with like this crazy guy who worked. I don't even. I don't think he worked at the uh, there was no aquarium there wasn't, yeah there was yeah. no aquarium it was just they needed to get stuff to make it was sort of what the, the third act was getting all the elements the transparent aluminum all that mm-hmm. the helicopter and but uh, it was more about trying to recreate or build dilithium crystals mm-hmm. from you know literally it was like Perrier water and you know some rare earth element and stone knives and bear skin yeah it was <laughs> exactly and so that I remember Harv Bennett was sort of writing Heard on it with Leonard, you know, reading drafts. And they wrote a lovely, funny script, but I think Leonard ultimately went, it's too silly. It's it's not at all a Trek movie. Mm-hmm. Wow. It was a, it was a romp and doesn't, and not casting aspersions, it was a good, fun script, but it just didn't feel like Star Trek. So he's the one who said, well, what is it that we're, you know, uh, losing in the, in the, <laughs> I'm drifting to Leonard's voice. What are we losing in the 20th century that could affect us in the future. And then he thought of a bunch of things, and this has been covered by him, and I think even in the, the DVD extras, but uh, came up with the, the whale concept, which is obviously a, a big issue at the time, and still is. It's just Greenpeace doesn't... They've got more... They've got bigger fish to fry, pardon the pun. Um, <laughs> oh, or other people are fry, yeah. <laughs> well, like, like, mammals? Like the climate. Oh, yeah, I know. Bad, but, bad. Yeah, there. Well, yeah. I'm good. I'm good at bad puns. Or I'm bad at, yeah, I'm bad at good puns, too. Uh, but uh, so anyway, that was my experience with seeing that. And the time travel thing was, again, just to comment on. It was really about commenting on what we're doing now, which right. time travel sometimes is. And sometimes it's just, you know, I'm your, your own grandfather kind of paradox. Uh, you know, the funny thing is, you know, when you just started talking about Trek 4, you said they go back for the whales. And... Up until the 2009 Star Trek movie, Star Trek Four was the highest grossing Star yeah. Trek movie of them well, all. What's the one different element that was in it? Oh, wait. Oh. Well, it was me. It was you. <laughs> they went there Literally, for you. Look, you. The, here we are. Kirk Thatcher's involved. Oh, We're back going. over here. <laughs> right, right. And then uh, JJ, whatever, that guy. But but the point is is that because it, it was back in contemporary times, right. you know this was a this this did for the for the movies what the trouble with Tribble yeah. did for the original series. Okay. It opened it up to people who were not we're fans, not sci-fi fans. You Let did not Star need Trek to know doesn't... anything about Star Trek. No. My yeah. mom loves Star Trek right. Four, and right. she does not like Star Trek. Right. But but <laughs> most people will say that they love the one with the whales. Yeah. That's the one. That Star really Trek is, the, is the, one with the, the one with the whales. And yes, That's you're right. pretty much how they remember it, yeah. Or the one with the punk on the bus. It is the one, <laughs> <laughs> the one with the punk on the bus, who the only person to give the bird yeah. in a Star Trek uh, flip yeah. the bird. Yeah. But it was absolutely Star Trek because it was about something. And it was, yes. And, and it had the, I think Leonard, he just hammered this in 
early on when I started on it because my background was in effects. So he's like, you know effects and all that. I want someone on my team that my person that I can trust because he felt on Star Trek Three that he was kind of given the runaround primarily with the effects department just saying you can't do that or you can't do this or whatever. Um, and he said, I want you to focus on all these details, uh, on the sets, on the props, on the costumes. You know, if you like it, I'm, I mean, he gave me a ton of uh, responsibility and trusted my taste way more than he should have as a 23-year-old. Um, <laughs> but we got along. We just kind of had a very, very similar sense of taste in terms of artistic stuff where he trusted mine because he said i want to focus on the heart of the story which is the relationships it wasn't about the whales really it was about this crew coming back together after spock had been you know considered dead mm -hmm. resurrected and what was happening with spock and his relationships with every one of those characters particularly bones and and, and kirk um and he said i just want to focus on that that's the heart of the movie yep. and i think that's why it resonated because it's a buddy picture it's mm -hmm. it's a a group of friends refinding their friendship mm -hmm. with a great plot device, you know, but, and it's simple enough that people don't, it's sometimes science fiction, even Star Trek can get so convoluted as like why they need to do the thing to get the thing, to make the thing that happened, not happen. Right. Where this is like, we just got to save the whales, the like, get the whales, bring it back to the future. They'll yep. sing a song. And so, yeah. Um, and I think that's also why a lot of non science fiction and non Trek fans liked it. It's like, Oh, I get the plot. Now it's all the fun of getting there. Yep, exactly. There's a lot of easy humor in it too. Like, yeah. like one of my favorite moments is just Scotty. Hello, computer. Uh, that yeah, was my yeah. joke. So, oh, real? Yeah. Oh, well, Mac and, Macintosh. So I got to do bits on the script and um, this is nothing to do with time travel, except, <laughs> except that Macintosh computers had just come out and I was a big fan. I, I think I got the second one. Uh, it was a, uh, uh, five twelve Mac. And so we're saying, when we're, the script is going, I said, ooh, it should be a Macintosh because people use them for graphics and stuff. And Leonard's like, okay. Um, and I said, well, and this was my gag that Harv put in the script or Nick put in the script or Leonard suggested. I said, look, back then you don't, you know, Star Trek, you talk to your computer. So he would say, you know, he'd start talking to the computer and then he'd say, use the mouse. So he doesn't know. He picks it up and thinks it's a microphone. Hello. I just thought that would be funny. I was just using, applying logic <laughs> to the situation. And they, Leonard's like, yeah, sure, that's funny. And, and they milked it. Not to, not to also like jump on this pun, but the fish out of water humor is yeah. really oh, geez, like, I mean, pun. <laughs> well, they like, I think that, um, we were just talking about Aquaman. I feel like Aquaman leaned on the fish out of water humor so much to the point and like wasn't executed very well. It was really annoying. Wow. Um, but my opinion. Um, but in Star Trek Four, it really works. Like there's just that yeah. shot of I think it's Uhura and Kate, Walter Koenig, uh, Uhura and Chekhov trying to figure out like oh, yeah. where to go, and they're like right. Alameda. It's over there. Alameda. Alameda. Yeah. And they just so can't figure out. Well, and then <laughs> just the subtle rest. And then like Spock with the whales and Kirk like in the aquarium, and all of a sudden right. Spock's in the tank, and Kirk's like. <laughs> but but the point you, the point of the LDS. movie yeah. is that the the mistakes of the past yeah sins of the fathers you know screwed the future basically, mm -hmm. and they had a chance you know fortunately using the lights brief speed breakaway that they used in Tomorrow's Yesterday uh, and, the Kirk and Simon Earth, they were able to, you know, uh, fix the future. But like the stakes, the stakes are massive. Like when you when you look at the great the great time travel stories, movies, episodes, the stakes are always massive. Uh, I think like look at first contact. That the stakes are massive. Look at the Star Trek 2009. The stakes are massive. Right. Well, it's the butterfly effect. Yeah, always, the butterfly. You know. Exactly, the butterfly yeah. effect. And going back to sitting on the edge forever, the butterfly effect was that was the first time that a butterfly effect was really, really used uh, in in such a broad universal scale. I mean, you know, my next favorite, you know, is Tomorrow Was Yesterday. 
the Enterprise takes an unexpected journey to Earth's 20th century. UFO is picking up speed. We want it brought down. Scotty, beam that pilot aboard. Who are you? We're from your future. Now, they must find a way back. We might change man's future. Or the future of Earth. What if we can't go back? Could be history. You know what the future looks like. You could destroy it. Maybe I can't go home, but neither can you. Star Trek. Which was the time travel episode that preceded uh, City on the Edge Forever. And this one, a little more lighthearted, written by Dorothy Fontana, DC Fontana. And... Uh, you know, they go back to uh, contemporary time. At that time, it was 1967. And uh, the clairvoyance on uh, Dorothy Fontana's point to uh, sort of hear the radio broadcast talk about the the, the moonshot. Um, right. And uh, that was happening at the time, yeah. but uh, also uh, what was happening around this, the time after uh, that the episode aired uh, before the episode, uh, the episode filmed before this was the Apollo 11 fire. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. could have Apollo pushed- one. That could have uh, pushed uh, the moonshot into the 70s. Thank God it, it didn't. But um, but it was fun. And uh, because you had someone from the present day in the 60s on board the Enterprise, everyone watching Star Trek was able to explore the wonder of being on a futuristic starship well, through Captain Christopher's eyes. They, that's two, two of my favorite lines. Kirk says, man, moonshot. That was in the late 1960s, wasn't apparently, it? Captain. Apparently, Captain. So, so are, are we. we. <laughs> I, I, I love that. I love that. <laughs> That's um, I think it calls back to like sort of why I get fr- I get a little frustrated with futures and in timeless just to name the two Voyager ones is because they kind of abandon the idea of the butterfly effect. They don't mm-hmm. take it very seriously. Harry and Chakotay decide that they're going to with this very strange gray hair decide that they <laughs> and this useless girlfriend um, decide that they're going to go back in time and save Voyager regardless of the effect that that could ha- the greater effect that that could have on the Federation when that has been wrestled with in so many other episodes and mm-hmm. how you can't mess with this stuff but no 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 they love their crew and it shouldn't happen this way and Harry can't take the fact that he boned it and everybody died <laughs> and it's it's as heartwarming and at the like as an episode kind of on its own it it is a, a, a lovely story and it's very sad but it automatically hits the Trek reset button so any residents or any anything that comes from it is kind of erased immediately and then beyond that you have Future's End which again Janeway is like oh the entire computer age of the 21st century shouldn't have happened but it did, and it's part of our history. She doesn't try and go back in time to stop. Like, none of that gets fixed. It's just this sort of um, flippant regard for it, which just doesn't allow you to take it as seriously. Well, one of the other episodes that I that I really love as far as time travel, again, another another butterfly effect one. And this episode I consider to be the Citizen Kane of Star Trek Next Generation episodes, mm-hmm. Yesterday's Enterprise. Oh, oh, yeah. Now, there's... A doozy, and and just a little bit of backstory. You know, when when Next Gen was really uh, in its first run, you know, the first two seasons. You know, being just a massive diehard fan, uh, I I I wasn't really loving Next Gen. I thought the first season was okay, second season was was not as good as the first, and I was really disappointed. But then third season, third season when when Ron Moore, Brown and Bragg have really you know became more involved uh, with the show, Michael Pillar especially. The next gen really hit its stride, mm. and and absolutely yesterday's enterprise. I mean, like you look at the credits of that episode. Everyone, you had a lot of cooks in that kitchen mm-hmm. with the writing of that episode, uh, the story uh, written by, and then the 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 teleplay written by. Like you know, all these people it takes up the whole screen. But 
what a great like Enterprise C, and it's like there, it's in the future, and and the Enterprise is a warship, and when you're in ten forward, and instead of being like a lounge, it's a galley, you know, mm-hmm. full of of warriors, you know, and like again, butterfly effect. The Federation was losing the war against the Klingons. They have to send this ship back to the past. Maybe it'll yeah, it'll fix the maybe. future. Yeah. Like, like we don't know. Uh, we we're never going to know if we even exist. I mean, if there's there's so much it's like if you look at like city or right. tomorrow's yesterday we're looking at it from the point of view of the enterprise in the 23rd century and uh and and you know uh when kirk and spock and mccoy go back to the future in, in city they know that they restored the past they know what happened but in yesterday's enterprise no one ever knew about any of this until until the following season right. with uh 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 oh my god what's the what's the two-parter with leonard nimoy Reunification. Reunification. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Indeed, you have found him. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone lost their mind. Yeah. But, um, you know, Rachel Garrett, uh, Captain Enterprise C, that was, I mean, I would I would love to see uh, a CBS All Access show just on Enterprise C. Yeah, have an any of you uh-huh. guys read uh, Q Squared? Sure. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that one of my favorite tracks. Well, I love how one of the tr- one of the reality tracks in that book is the reality of yesterday's Enterprise, mm-hmm. and you get this perspective of Picard at war, and you get to get inside his head, and then Picard acts like the the wartime Picard like finds his way to regular Enterprise, finds his way to our like the right. prime reality. Prime. Actually, the, prime. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And he sees a Klingon on the bridge. And he's like, a Klingon on the bridge, as happy as you could be. And they talk about, like, now there were people who were probably a faster draw than Jean-Luc Picard in, the, in Starfleet, but he didn't know any. And it just that immediate reaction of him seeing Worf and right. drawing his phaser immediately and Worf being like, <laughs> and jumping over the tactical station, that imagery really, like when I watch yesterday's Enterprise again, well, I, I feel that you feel him at the ready, and it's such a it's such a, a razor sharp different direction is, from our Picard. Which is also a nice callback to Worf's first action on the bridge when he leaps over the thing and tries to shoot Q. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> on the view screen. Oh, bless Worf. Eat any good books lately? Yeah. Darren, what what about yours? You know, I'm I'm glad you asked because I I've, I've been enjoying listening <laughs> to all your no 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 I, I I've been enjoying listening to all the things and I'm gonna pick one that I love but I admit that it is goofy. Uh oh, I love goofies. Um, I love Assignment Earth. Captain Kirk, you interfere with me, you'll change history. <laughs> Stop it! Stop it! Yeah. What are you? In the air! Malfunctioning. Rocket is deviating from program flight path. You can destroy it, of course. Can. We're gonna lay an H bomb on somebody somewhere. Computers indicate an impact somewhere in the heart of the Euro-Asian continent. Get me the president. Roberta, you've got to let me finish what I started, or World War Three will begin in six minutes. I uh, I love that episode, sure. But the conceit is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Kirk's first opening uh, opening line is using the light speed breakaway factor. The Enterprise has moved back through time to the 20th century. Our mission, historical research. Really? 
how you know how did mankind survive this yeah. tumultuous problem year, year, in the year in 1968. 1968 right right ludicrous setup but it's oh. a great episode right. because the the character of Gary Seven and mm-hmm. Roberta Robert Lincoln Lansing. is are so fun and I wish they had done this as a spin-off series. I would have loved to have watched uh, that would have been great. the it was continuing to be a spin-off. Yeah. Oh, I did not know Absolutely. that. I, I yeah. did not know that. It was a pilot for it, a, it was a, a spin-off. Yeah, it was a pilot for a spin-off and it never got sold. But what a what a fun sort of riff on the James Bond type thing. You know, he's a secret agent from outer space. From Here, here's here's yeah. what perspective brings to assignment Earth. So the episode came out, it aired in nineteen sixty eight. Right. Okay. Uh, it was the next to the last episode of the second season. It was the last episode of the second season. It was no, the last Glory episode. Was last. Omega Glory was, was what okay. was shown before before Simon Earth. The last episode that was shown for the second huh, season okay. was the Simon Earth. But here's the thing about about perspective. So they film it in 1968. Yeah, it was intended to be a spinoff, but. Here we are. It's 2000. You know, uh, by the time this airs, it'll be 2019. 19. So, 51 years later, 1968 is still seen as one of the most violent, tumultuous yeah. years uh, of of the 20th century. Right. And and here they are in 1968 because of Star episode. Trek. <laughs> uh, that they that they you know because you know looking back on that episode now like wow they they got that right that actually was one of the most tumultuous uh, times how the how the hell did we freaking survive 1968 one of the one of the fun things that I I love about this is that you know back when I, I watched it as a kid and you see Gary Seven leaning back in his uh, office chair dictating to the typewriter. Every time I take out my iPad and do dictation to it, I think of that. Do you yeah. sit with your feet up? Sometimes. <laughs> and it's just it's just really fun. But look, I, I love Robert Lansing. His his sort of deadpan delivery is he has a power to him that uh, is a gravitas yeah. that yeah, can yeah, yeah. go up against Kirk and win. Yeah. He wins <laughs> against Kirk and Spock. He uh, he accomplishes his mission as. Supervisor one nine four, and <laughs> deep look, cuts, I, deep I, cuts. I enjoy it. Look, the name of my production company is Beta Five. The name of his wow. computer. Right. So uh, it's it's one of my favorites, and I just think it is such a loss that it never got realized as a continuation of this fun story. And Terry Gar is amazing. She at it. is, Aww. and and the the launch of the Saturn Five that you see right. in uh, in a Simon Earth. It's actually Apollo Four. Right. Uh, the first launch of the Saturn V. Yeah. And this is, you know, this is a full year. And it's fateful launch from McKinley Rocket Base. You know, the, <laughs> from the, uh, uh, this is a full year before Apollo 11 lifted off right. and, and landed on the moon. But, but uh, you know, there, there's a lot, like, that's a fun time travel one. Uh, you know, in terms of deep cuts, okay, yeah. you know, you know, if you want to really get into a deep cut time travel story. I feel like you, know, you, you brought up a book, which Alexander August, <laughs> that is very, very, very impressive. You, you brought up that book. I'm I gonna was going to go... bring up Imzadi when we were talking about the Guardian of the Ninja Forever because <laughs> I want to go, go back to a in time. Story. I think it was a short story, but... Okay, oh, so, but real fast, playing off the Guardian, I'm going to go with an episode that, that's not live action. Right. Animated. Oh. Yes. Oh. The first episode. Oh, no, sorry. The second episode. Second episode of the animated series. Of the animated series, which is Yesteryear, yes. written by DC Fontana. Known on the Viewmaster set as Mr. Spock's Time Trek. Okay, first of all. <laughs> wow. So, so here. I'm, I'm leaving. I can't, <laughs> I can't compete with this. So we are not only going back in time. We are going back in time to Vulcan's past. Right. 
and wait, like before Sirach. Oh, no. Well, oh, no, no, not that far back. Oh. Uh, we're going back in time to uh, see, you know. Spock as a child. Spock, oh. Spock uh, as a child and uh, older Spock helping younger Spock. Uh, it's something that happened again many, many years later in Star Trek 2009. Right. Um, but it was, a, it was a very moving. Spock Prime helping Spock Primary. See, there you oh, go. look at that. Um, but but so for. looking back on that episode now with perspective, first of all, uh, the Star Trek animated series won uh, an Emmy for best mm-hmm. uh, best uh, children's series. Yeah, something like that. But it did best win an daytime, Emmy. Best daytime. Yeah, there were daytime there were twenty two episodes of that show. Uh, I look at the animated series as the lost fourth season of Star Trek. Some of the scripts were they actually yes written to be fourth season of the live action. They they were never intended to be. The well, live action series, but they were certainly written by some of the same oh, writers. That I knew, and, but yeah. they weren't stories they were brewing for the. Okay. No, no, no. The, the, I didn't know that. None I got of the, the well, stories. Though, though the Tribbles episode was. Oh, right, right. He uh, pitched uh, that. Uh, okay, okay, that's where I'd, I'd read that, and right. it was probably from David. Yeah, David Gerald David. Yeah, pitched yeah. that. But, but a lot of those episodes of the animated series would have made damn yeah. fine live action episodes, yeah. and Yesteryear is one of them. The uh, you know, we hear Polly. we hear about. About Spock's pet Sala. We were planning on doing yeah. yesteryear as a live action wow, version back when we were great. doing New Voyages. Oh my yeah. gosh! As that a fan awesome. film, that yeah. would have been amazing yeah. because I I still think that that's one of the best Star Trek stories by any measure. It's wonderful. It's what it's, it, it's from, beautiful from the very first deep, moment very where mm-hmm. Kirk and Spock return uh-huh. and McCoy says, "Who's this? Who's this, Jim?" Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly you You're know like, Mr. Spock. Yeah. yeah. What? Yeah, yeah, it was great, and it was great to see the Guardian in an animated story. Right, even though they don't call it the Guardian. Right. What do they call it? They call it uh, something else. Like a because, WGA role because or the, something? No, because the Guardian of Forever is owned by Harlan Ellison. Oh, oh I didn't wow. do that. Yeah, that's wow. what I mean. So it's sort of a WGA right, right. writer's right. Wow. Well, I mean, but yeah, I mean that's that's a you know for for people who are who are not familiar with the animated series at all. Right there on Netflix with the rest of the Star Trek shows except for Disco. Um, and I absolutely, absolutely encourage anyone who has never seen the Yesteryear episode of the animated series. It's great. And it gives such it. a great and perspective they, of Spock as a child. They've mm-hmm. released it. Haven't oh, they, yeah. You can get absolutely. this now or streaming or I don't know. Yeah, it's on Netflix. It. Yeah. Yeah, but but you know, like after hearing about uh, the uh, the fat teddy bear in Journey to Babel, right. you we see, see it. it. Yeah, yeah, it's the great. Lot, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's a story. Since we're going off to no, animation stuff, there was a anywhere. short story I believe where, and it was very funny. And I remember reading this as a kid, so it was probably in the '70s, where the crew of the it's a time travel. They oh. go back to the present day, which is the '60s, and as and see, it's like another dimension too. Because they're watching themselves played by actors. Yes. The New Voyage is part two? Yes. Right. Visit to a Strange Planet Revisited. That's right. Yes. So that blew my mind as a kid. We were like, oh my God. Like, what? How in the, you know, that was a great story. William Shatner. It's a short story, right? Leonard, yeah. Louis Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, and DeForest Kelly are filming an episode of Star Trek, and then they find themselves on the Enterprise. So it's not really a time travel episode. 
But, but it it's, is. It kind of is because they're going into the future, right. right? They're going, you know. Yeah, it doesn't always go backwards. You Shatner, Nimoy, and DeForest Kelly are going into the future. Right. So it is a time travel yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. I feel but like that, that, yeah, that's like all the fanfic I imagined in their head. It's just like, what would happen if Captain Jamie met Kate Mulgrew? And like, right. Kate Mulgrew's there, like, smoking a Marlboro Light and being like, uh huh. <laughs> but I don't that know. Episode, that, that short story, like Catherine Hepburn. Visit to a Strange Planet Revisited. I, that must have inspired Galaxy oh, Quest. I'm certain. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean uh, that that uh, that was almost Which like was originally Galaxy called Quest. Captain yeah. Starshine. Yeah. Captain's yeah. Because I read yeah, it. It says hello. It, what's that? No. <laughs> good, <laughs> morning, well, different, good morning. Good morning, Star. Yeah, it's very different morning, title. Wow. But yeah, I feel like that's great a tagline. One. That's I was talking about like deep cuts. Like, okay, that, yeah. that's what I would say. So that was a short story mm-hmm. in a collection. Yep. Do you know who wrote it? Is it anyone? Was, uh, I'm sure we could the, Google it. It was compiled by Sandra by Jacqueline and Colbert, right? They 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 compiled the short stories. Right. There yeah. was Star Trek: The New Voyages and Star Trek: The New Voyages Two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and and that was in I think it was in it was in the second that was volume. That yeah, was it was really a lot fun. of fun. I just, the it was idea a lot of fun. Kind of breaking the fourth wall in a weird way. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. That would have been a great episode. <laughs> like, <laughs> would have been I'm an actor who plays you. I mean, you know, and then Kirk gets to work with with Shatner. Well, you know, oh my God, they would hate each other. <laughs> oh, they would have. You, you know, Dude, look, after, and after Kirk in the same room. Yeah. No, after Not just spent after spending Not a weekend with Mr. Shatner this past weekend, I will say that Shatner absolutely would have gotten along with Captain Kirk. Oh, well, wow. Of course, but um, he would have been would be. fascinated by. He would have been fascinated. Yes, he. You nailed it. I think Bill Shatner, having worked with him and hung out with him and all that, he's fascinated by everything. He's like, that's that's fascinating. He's the one, not Spock. <laughs> Leonard. Yeah. I mean, Leonard was curious, but not but with Shatner this sort of- But Shatner is curious about everything. Everything, yeah. and, and passionately yeah. curious. He's mm-hmm. not just like, oh. He's like, now tell, now tell me. How do you, you know- Because we were... he, really, <laughs> he really wants to know everything. And he's he's he's- Intrigued. I mean, yeah. it's not just like he's being nice. We're it's not. The... It's not BS. Yeah. No, we did this little Muppet thing. He, he was a guest on the Muppets in the late '90s on Muppets Night, and he just kept looking down and going, "How? How do you act like this?" I mean, you're working. I get it, but he just was just this amazing. I mean, he just was never not curious about everything, and 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 impressed to some degree of like how hard that must be, or he really appreciated. You know, other camera guys and all that he'd seen before, but not this kind of Muppet technology of, you know, having your right arm up in the air looking down he at He appreciates monitor. talent and ability yeah, in yeah. all forms. He really does. And, yeah. and that's a charming, it's it's probably his most charming, immediately noticeable attribute is that he is so uh, enamored of the world. Yeah. Pretty much every part of it. Have you got, did, were I, were, I don't know if you've seen video of it or were present for the, um, when he got his star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Or no, 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 when Christopher Plummer did a couple of years ago. Um, mm. The TCM Film Festival kind of sponsored him doing it. And William mm. Shatner and Shirley MacLaine spoke. And I didn't realize that he had had such a close relationship with Christopher Plummer. Yeah. I, I confess he was that, his understudy yeah, in like, Canada. I confess to not oh actually knowing a ton about Shatner's early life. But yeah, he talked about how the reverence and the eloquence with which he spoke about Plummer just moved me in a way that I hadn't been when it came to him before. Like, I've always had an affection for Shatner, but I've found him to, you know, I think like a lot of people, a little bit off-putting in certain situations. And um, I had a whole newfound respect for him after watching that because he talked about how, like I said, just very eloquently about how he had followed Christopher Plummer. Basically, every stage of their career, he had followed Christopher Plummer. He had done Shakespearean theater. He'd moved out to Los Angeles. He'd started in TV, moved on to film. And he was like, he's like, and I'll eventually follow you to that next great... um, Endeavor meaning death, which was kind of uh, wow. it was very well, eloquent morbid, at the but time. But, like like but yeah, it was die. yeah, yeah, it was. Um, but just for him to speak so eloquently yeah. about that sort of 
friend family relationship that they had and then also i think um that made me think when when nimoy passed away just how utterly heartbroken he must have been yeah Uh, can we talk about all good things the end of an incredible legend draws near i'm moving back and forth through time the past the present and the future are about to collide. We are defenseless. And the fate of all mankind depends on one man. All hands brace for impact. <laughs> Goodbye, Jean-Luc. All good things must come to an end. On the spectacular two-hour final episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, yes, sure. please. There's a doozy of a time travel episode because you're looking They're at the They're just bouncing back and forth. and uh, it, It's brilliant. Yeah. It's not confusing. It's not convoluted. Right. It's brilliant. And that should have been the first movie. Well, and it's not. It's the fact mm. that like Q is not the person who is sending Picard back in time. Right. That Q is just there as a guide as well. And this is all happening kind of. It really like elevates the uh, the quantum mechanics of it all for somebody like me who doesn't right. understand anything about that. Um, it's almost even hard to call it a time travel episode because like you, like you said, it is like should have been this first movie and was a like. Arguably, I I say this. I think Matt Myra of um, After Trek does as well. That I think it's the best series finale that I've ever seen. Bar it, it really is. It's an amazing series finale. It's often overlooked when they talk about the great series finales. Yeah. But I think the the problem with that, the reason why that happens, is because they went straight from from uh, all good things into generations. Like there was no right. there was no time to mm-hmm. sort of like miss the next gen crew. Yeah, right? I think they even started filming generations like right after they wrapped they all good things. They absolutely oh, yeah. did. It, yeah, when when All Good Things was airing, they had already finished shooting the movie. Uh, oh, 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 yeah. When it aired. When it aired, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... All Good Things is interesting because I don't know if it would have worked as a movie because of the fact that you sort of had to be with them already. Right. And there was no, there was no way of... Uh, including new audience members into Completely. the, well, into the bag. like Star Trek Two. Yeah, <laughs> like if you didn't know the history, if you didn't know the characters, Star Trek Two, which is the fans, you know, con mm-hmm. is the fans' favorite movie, is the did not break out because you had to be pretty involved with the series to get it. It was also well, also rather kind. It was like it was a big rebound. Uh, yes, from the from the first. I mean, even though giant. I know we like the first movie, but most people were. Yeah, it, no, it wasn't for them. Agreed. Yeah. But, but uh, to be fair, uh, no, the Wrath of Khan. <laughs> no, no, you're going to be fair. I'm, I'm going to force you to be I fair. I refuse to be fair. <laughs> um, Wrath of Khan does give uh, enough background material for the audience to catch up sure. with what's going on. Right. Uh, but if you, whereas all good things, right? You're true. You're absolutely right. does. It really I, is I a agree fan. with you. I, I completely agree point. that that all good things as a movie. Uh, it would it would not have been as accessible like like a TV Star Trek was. There you go. But yeah. but as it but as a I mean not the as generations a, is accessible as a at all. Payoff yeah. for seven years, which yeah, was yeah. Uh, obviously by far the longest running Star Trek show. Right. Uh, it was only the second one anyway. But it was it was a, a massive, huge, extre- extremely rewarding payoff that still holds up as as one of the great Star Trek Next Gen episodes, oh, as God. as one of the all-time great series finales ever, period. I agree with you. Just, yeah, and just the way that it's basically this 
beautiful series of bookends. You just go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And you get to see everybody's arcs from the beginning to the middle where we know them to the future where some of it's good, some of it's not heartbroken that Picard and Crusher got divorced. Didn't think that was necessary. Um, sure it is. <laughs> um, what about the news series but, with Picard? Where are they going? I mean, what's happening with that? They're uh, writing it, but It's nothing... 20 years after the events of So he of and Next Crusher Gen. are divorced. She's not an issue. I don't know that they're even going to go that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that, he a, might not even be different timeline yeah yeah you know it's gonna yeah. be interesting like like yeah. what what is what do you do after you've been captain of a starship no. you know you, you teach, either you teach the either oh, die I, I think it's gonna be a, a, a show about him going to the supermarket and hanging out oh, i would love that petting dogs and <laughs> you know, <laughs> sitting, sitting in a park with a pipe <laughs> yeah like, yeah sorry it's gonna Just be the most and boring Star Trek it's gonna be surfing the internet <laughs> yeah. you know right. checking oh, out us weekly us weekly we even the way they call back to farpoint too and just have q there in the judge and he says that just that wonderful line it's like the trial never ends right and it just hits every single note it's a great star trek episode it, t- it bookends every character it ties everybody up and allows it to it I was didn't... a clip show let's face it. it was just a way to save money and do a clip show <laughs> although there is a not mad at it there I'm is a kidding. problem in all good things uh at one point they go uh, back in time when the anomaly didn't exist and the anomaly is there there's a there's oh, a moment anomalous. when you're well, watching the episode. But isn't the anomaly supposed to screw with time so thought, it gets back in time? Despite, yeah, like yeah. very middle ground understanding there's, of this, but like the, you're saying the anomaly the is acting anomalously. Yeah, you're darn right, I am. Yes, I I just want to Paradox. throw something out that is is an interesting thought experiment. Um, it's sort of time travel because it involves uh, us being in the present and dealing with uh, a show that was 50 years ago, ah. but. While while the actors were still all alive, I had this fantasy of going back and reshooting the Deadly Years sections oh, with, with the with the, the older actors. Cast, yeah, reshooting those scenes. You'd still have to. I mean, the Deadly Years are like they were 105. I mean, they weren't just you know 70. <laughs> yeah, but you know. Shatner still looks like he was he's 60. Yeah, yeah, I know. You know yeah, even though yeah. he's uh, almost 88 I mean. no, years old. That's what I'm saying. In the series, they're all yeah. age-spotted and Exactly, but and... it would have been so fascinating yeah, yeah. to do a special edition of the Deadly right. Years with the- Kind of with... like they did with Tribul- uh, Tribulations where yeah, they sure. put them in the old show. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But just, you know- uh, You could- A what if. You could do it with CG now. Just take, you, you, take you scans of them, could. right? You know, their last year and yeah. do it, but- um... Hey, I feel bad, Doctor McCoy. Uh, you guys ever see the Simpsons episode you, where they cut to a clip of like yeah. Star Trek nineteen? Yes. And it's like it's Kirk. They were the walking. So again, very tired. Again with the Klingons. <laughs> I just need like, a wee bit of rest. The ship is drafty and damp. My hiatal hernia is acting oh, up. Yeah, it's, Captain, your beside seems to be particular. <laughs> I think Shatner actually did the voice on that. I think he did too. I think he did, and well, was un- uncredited. So, so you have you know Star Trek the original the original series had their time travel movie, with with the the voyage with home with those wins. Sure. Yeah. So, so then you have Next Gen has their very best movie by far of the four that they did, with First Contact. Love right, first a contact. great again another butterfly effect episode right. utilizing the the best villain that Next Gen. Although I would uh, say it's the Borgify effect. 
Oh. oh. Wait, did you just make that up? I just made that very, up. Very, very good, Darren. <laughs> I That's a good pun. Yeah. That's <laughs> not even a pun. You'll be quiet <laughs> over there. That pun was great. That's a portmanteau. Hey, I got bigger fish to fry, okay? Oh. I, just want, I just want credit for using portmanteau Whales are mammals. <laughs> but, you know, a first contact, I mean, directed by Jonathan Frakes. Sure. Uh, it has everything you want in a movie, not Except just a Star Trek. But yes. Captain Kirk. Yes. It's, oh, I, I just love this movie so much. Every time it comes on, I cannot help but sit down and watch it because I have to get to assimilate this as stupid as I'm like, you cannot tie off a spacesuit with a cord, but I am here for it. Worf would 100% have been dead, but I'm glad he's not so we could say that line. And just the idea, too, of exploring, going back to Star Trek's early days and exploring... Um, the father of warp drive in a way that Star Trek had never really gotten into its own history before and it works and it's funny because he's a drunk and he's hopeless because it's post-apocalyptic and he doesn't live in a post-scarcity society Mm -hmm. he's not nice and optimistic and then like Reg Barkley running around and just being Reg Barkley like Reg Barkley is all of us (laughs) yeah he kind of is isn't he (laughs) and yeah and then balanced by what's happening on the Enterprise E and you're right like one of the greatest villains in Star Trek history is Alice Krieg as the Borg Queen absolutely she's she's terrifying oh yeah, she's really, really Well, especially the scene where it's her head and spinal column and they put her on the body. You're like, right. oh, oh. I guess. And then when she, then when all of her organic material goes off and the yeah. car just breaks her neck. Oh. Yeah. But, but you know, the payoff of that film, well, well first of all, uh, uh, you know, uh, Patrick Stewart was fantastic in the role. Um, it, it's, uh, you know, the, the great action movie, uh, you know, just like Wrath of Khan in a lot of ways, uh, you're, right. you're sort of taking a page from Moby Dick. You are balancing action, heart, and humor. And the, the, the definition of first contact, I didn't know what that meant. I remember when I saw first contact for the very first time. And when you see the, the end of the film, the Vulcan gets off, live long and prosper. Right. Uh, what? Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> but hey, come on. It's been, uh, what, 30 years, uh, 20 years. Um, and it was it was it was brilliant. Just it worked perfectly. It worked perfectly. It was it was it was the it was the movie that next generation needed. It's a great time travel story. Mm-hmm. It's a great action film. And it holds up. It really like brings to it really manages to execute supporting characters so well too. You care about Lily and you care about what's you care about what's his face. The guy who's um <laughs> So deeply. The lieutenant what the lieutenant that uh, is like is a bridge officer the entire time and when they're out like doing the maglocks. Lieutenant Hawk. His, yes, Lieutenant Hawk. Um you care like oh. he's essentially a red shirt, but you care about him. And when he gets assimilated, it's ter- and the, the fact that they update the assimilation to be these nanoprobes that go in Neil and are injected. That's yes, yes. Neil so, McDonough. Yeah. Oof. A star of tomorrow, as yes. mentioned in the uh, Sci-Fi Universe magazine. Oh, is that right? That's <laughs> right. Yeah. He didn't. Did he have any dialogue in First Contact? Because he was no. definitely there. And I there. don't think he ever had any dialogue yeah. in anything else. <laughs> unfortunately. Um, look, I, if you're listening, Neil, we'll remember you. Come back. <laughs> come back to us. Um, Do the show. I, I think. I think it's interesting the portrayal of Zephram Cochran. We talked about him in an earlier yes. episode. Uh, uh, Jamie Cromwell. Uh, Jamie? Are you close? That's what he calls himself. <laughs> Does Jamie? he? Yeah. Always right. yeah. credit as James Cromwell. Yeah, but, you know. Jimmy D. But yeah, you can call him Jamie James if you want to feel close yeah, to him. Call him Darren, I'll call totally him Jimmy fine. Jim 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 Jim. I feel close. I feel closer to him yes, right now. If he had words um, to make a day for you, Darren. I'm sure he would. <laughs> uh, he's playing the writer's version of Gene Roddenberry. Oh, interesting. Oh. 
Meaning, meaning someone who really didn't intend to create this wonderful new right. uh, future. He was just in it at the time for money. Right. Retire on a beach with a fruity drink. Yeah. His it intent just worked out in his favor that he yeah. changed the future. Who wrote he the script? The and he rose to the he rose to the and, uh, and uh, Ron. Ron yeah. Wow, Darren, what a perspective! I have to. Is that you never thought of that? Before? Is that your opinion, that, yeah. or have you read this? Uh, someone? It, it is my opinion, no, no, but I've also heard it mentioned. It other has places. been mentioned. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. That's like one of my favorite things about First Contact is the fact that it's about. It has this really wonderful story about rising to meet your destiny and how you're not necessarily going to be ready for it or worthy right. of it, and you just or have intending to do, to do it. Yeah, yeah, or even or even wanting. And a lot of and that's again goes back to the core of Star Trek of doing what you know is right, even when it's difficult, even when you don't want to uphold your values, you still have to, or else they're meaningless. And it's kind of like we rarely, I think, before Discovery get an example of how the sausage is made when it comes to Star Trek. And this was sort of a fun look into that, I think, yeah. as well. Well, you know, uh, the thing about Zephram Cochran, uh, played by Jamie Cromwell, is, you know, sometimes <laughs> sometimes fan, uh, fans can be a little uh, uh, very, very protective when, when changes, liberties are taken with things. And so, you know, you compare James Cromwell to Glenn Corbett, who played Zephram Cochran in my number one favorite Star Trek episode <laughs> of all time, which is Metamorphosis. That is my... That is my uh, uh, is photo novel number five. That city in the edge of forever. Come on. Well, yeah, no, that's boy, the, that's the best. Okay, but this my is personal the, oh, favorite, personal favorite. Okay. and <laughs> the best are two different things here. In this case, Metamorphosis. So you know, oh my God, you know, they, like he played him nothing like Len Corbett p- played him in Metamorphosis. Thankfully, because right. as you pointed out in that previous episode, he's Len pretty was a little stiff. Yeah. So I, I, you know, sometimes you just gotta go with it. Like, like whenever I'm watching Discovery, you know, when they showed. Uh, when they show Captain Pike in the Enterprise and, you know, you're seeing the, the, the pictures of the Enterprise crew and Discovery, the uniforms look very different than they did in right. the cage or where no man has gone before. It's okay. It's okay. Well, it's okay. okay. And Harry Mudd is not at all like... Exactly. I mean, that bugged me. I was like, really? That's See, Harry Mudd? It's perspective okay. that I had on that is like, as much as I enjoyed Mudd's women, Mudd is low-key a sex trafficker. I did not like and Mudd's women. It's, it's very dated. Yeah, and it's and like I forgive. Like I'm not. I'm not. You know, I'm angry at Star Trek for that. But I liked the darkness that they gave to Mud because I'm like, okay, this actually feels more in keeping with the kind of guy that would do that. As right. cynical as like true, as opposed to jovial, like hey, I'm Santa Claus, yeah, but like, I'm a pervert. Like yeah. oh Mud, stop trafficking women. <laughs> like it's Harry. <laughs> he did. Kirk was very much like. Shenanigans. Yeah, yeah. He, was, I mean, he was an annoyance. It was a lighter show. To, oh, yeah, I mean, obviously. you can't really. I, I, again, I can't blame the show for that. But I thought that's how I kind of thought it was a nice touch to make Mud a little bit darker, just because. Yeah, he, no, like, the the story. I just think the actor was odd, odd uh, choice. I, I, but I guess they're not like you said. They're not worrying about anything tremendously. Yeah, about, about like about oh, it should kind yeah. of tie into the thing that happens. Yeah, what is it? Eight years, know. ten years before the the original series supposed to take place. Well, I, it. They say it's ten years ten, before the ten original years. series. Yeah, right. Is it? Does it bother you the whole cl- the like the Klingons? thing that's bothered me? The, well, not necessarily the look of the Klingons. I can take the redesign. I think that's that's necessary. But really, the, the Klingon, um, yeah, that it bothers me less. Um, okay. right. than the entire Klingon war that was apparently what eighteen months that the Federation that almost lost that there's virtually no mention of in any of it. Like, I can take some canon adjustments right. because we obviously, even watching all five, six Star Trek shows, have not gotten an insight into every single thing that happened in Federation history. Sure. But this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And that's the, th- I don't know if that bothers, if that's a particular canon thing that bothered you guys because I found that that's not echoed by a lot of people. They're bothered much more by different things. But I'm like, there's it, this whole war that it, never happened. Well, <laughs> it bothers me that the war really never happens in the show either. Yeah. 
That's the problem. Okay, can we but, stay on topic? <laughs> no, <Sorry>. travel. No, <laughs> time, time travel. travel. We are we are traveling in time. Dime We're traveling travel. back uh, last year. Um, look, the the basic conceit about uh, these time travel stories is that there is something that our characters can do to number one have an adventure, number two save something that was changed, or change mm-hmm. something to. Uh, restore our well, that's current situation. Yeah, it's too even as as screwed up as the current situation is. Would the alternate be worse? I mean, I think right. that you know the butterfly effect kind of concept mm-hmm. is like. Good point. Right. It's also, but is it worse? I mean, an interesting thing is you did it. You made things better. Hitler was killed. There wasn't a world. War. I mean, it's because it's not our timeline. It's usually considered to be worse. But what if it's demonstrably but better? One of the great things about. You know, when, when we started off the episode with City on the Edge of Forever, right. one of the great things about City on the Edge of Forever is that World War II had to happen. Right, right. We had to have the carnage. We had to have the conflict right. in order to emerge into the wonderful future that Star Trek is. Right. So. Sure, to unify You them. can't. It, you know, well, but that's that concept. But no one's ever done one where, like, we change the. Well, I guess actually, Trek Four. There's no evil. There's no bad repercussions, as far as you can tell. At the end of Trek Four, it's not like the Ray Bradbury story where they come back and you know the language of someone else is running it and the clans right. have won. It's oh, we just got two whales. We gave them transparent aluminum. Any any other butterflies we crushed, it haven't had at least. I know it's Scotty's like. How do you know he didn't yeah, invent it? You know, like, oh. yeah. you know what's amazing? I think it's about. 12, 15 years too late. Someone invented transparent aluminum yeah. about six years ago. Oh, that's yeah. funny. Which it's, is so it's about 20 years later than the. Uh, well, he still, the you still called later. it. You still called it. Yeah. yeah totally. Yeah. Well, people asked me, how did. I said, well, we had. Well, sir, we knew. We had. Because sir, of you. It's <laughs> all yeah. real. Yeah, you did it. Yeah. <laughs> I have connections. Well, this has been a lovely journey Very through time fun. with all of you. Oh. Thank and you so much, Darren, for captaining the ship without Mark Alpin. And well, you, you people know, will see this. In the future, <laughs> for that is where you will spend <laughs> the, the rest, rest of, of your lives. I want to thank our wonderful guests, Alexandra August. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> the, that, that, that song the, just caught me. The late Kirk Thatcher, <laughs> and of course uh, Scott Mance. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks you. for joining us. Thank you. You Darren. can follow Inglorious Trexperts on Twitter and Instagram at at Inglorious Trek, as well as on Facebook, where you can continue the conversation by suggesting show topics and give us feedback on every episode. In addition, if you like what you hear, please rate us five stars at Apple Podcasts. Not four, not three, certainly not two, five. There are five five stars. That's in the worst Star Trek movie. That's Hey, watch it. You can hear... <laughs> You can hear new episodes of Inglorious Trexperts every Sunday, wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're a fan of Star Trek Discovery, don't miss our all-new podcast, Disco Nights, with host Chase Masterson and special guests every week, with new episodes premiering every Thursday night. Finally, very special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone here at the Electric Surge Network for making this show possible. We couldn't do it without you. So, until next week, on behalf of everyone here, keep on trekking ingloriously, of course.
This podcast is a production of the Electric Surge Network.